Well, good morning. Isn't this great to be together? We are a church who scatter across the city and serve the people across our city, but it is also great to gather here at this remarkable building with some remarkable people and worship God together. What a joy and a privilege it is. And today we're looking at restoration of relationships and with Zach and I were chatting before the gathering and saying that this summer series that was meant to be light and a nice ease into the next term and relaxing out during the holidays has actually been a bit more intense than we'd hoped and today we're looking at reconciliation of relationships how we restore relationships because at the heart of Jesus at the heart of Jesus's ministry is restoration we talked in the big story series about the revelation the book of Revelation where one day Jesus will return to earth and restore all relationships, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with one another, our relationship with creation, ultimately a relationship with God once and for all. That the kingdom is now and not yet and we're here now to see Jesus' kingdom come here on earth and restore it to its former glory, but it's for now but not yet. And our job is to see restoration in all society through the power of Jesus working in and through his people and that very much includes relationships with one another. And as we talk about restoring relationships and reconciliation and forgiveness, in many ways what we're about to share is quite simple and straightforward. But man, this stuff can be difficult to enact and difficult to live out. Some of us have been so hurt and so damaged and so broken by people that to forgive and to reconcile can be deeply painful. But of a heart of following Jesus, we believe, is restoration, is healing, forgiveness, reconciliation. That's why Jesus came to earth, to restore relationship ultimately to him, but also to one another, to the creation we live in, and also to ourselves. And we have to believe that no relationship is beyond God's grace and healing. We have to believe that no situation is beyond God's grace and healing. So why don't I pray for us, and then we're going to open up Matthew 5. Lord, I pray that this morning there would be such a sense of healing and breakthrough. For those of us who are just carrying deep, deep wounds and pains from relationships or a lack of being able to forgive, we pray that there be breakthrough and healing this morning. And we pray against it being anything about clever talk or clever words, but we pray that your spirit would work and move amongst us this morning. We pray that we would be a people of grace, a people of healing, a people of reconciliation, a people of restoration, Lord. Holy Spirit, come and have your way amongst us, we pray. Amen. So we are in Matthew 5, verse 21 to 24. You've heard what it was said to people long ago. You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar... And there, remember, your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Jesus is trying to teach here that the importance of healthy relationships, the importance of forgiveness, that this whole passage is about reconciliation. It's all about us living together in harmony. It's all about us forgiving one another, not angry and frustrated with one another and hurting one another, but actually you have people who let each other down but then forgive and then reconcile. But the truth is relationships are hard, aren't they? Relationships are difficult. And particularly during this pandemic, our relationships have often been strained and hurt and stretched. A few months back, during the height of lockdown, Adele and I were 
having what's called a, yeah, a bit of a domestic, for honest, a bit of an argument. We were trying to get the kids ready to homeschool, and we had to get on the staff Zoom call for 930 and it was about 9.31, I hate being late to meetings, and we had a little bit of an argument, should we say, but we didn't realise that the Zoom call had started, okay, so the staff team were watching us on, arguing, I mean, I suddenly realised they were watching, so I said, this is just a bit of a joke, don't worry, we just had a bit of a fun, and Adele said, it's alright for you, isn't it? And basically, we had this kind of argument in front of our staff team, and it was incredibly awkward, it felt even more awkward on Zoom. Not least, because in a few moments, we were talking about how we need to love one another, and serve one another in this team, and be caring for one another. But relationships can be strained, can't they? Particularly in this pandemic, it's been hard at times. We haven't seen each other face-to-face, many of us, for a long while, and we can know what it is to be hurting one another and frustrating one another or tensions increasing. I think it was Stephen Covey who first said that a man's greatest joy can be relationships and equally a man's greatest source of pain can be relationships. And of course that applies to women as well. But we know that, right, don't we? But... When we've got relationships that restore us and friendships and family who really love and care for us and are kind to us and generous, we can feel so blessed. Perhaps in this holiday season, you've just been once again reminded of how much family and friends mean to you. Equally, most of us, if not all of us, can think of the deep pain associated with broken relationships when people have let us down, when people have hurt us, when people have betrayed us, when we've lost a loved one. And perhaps even now as we're talking about relationships, your experience here at Central has been that you haven't felt welcome or loved or included. And all we can say is we want to do better and we're sorry. But we get that, don't we, that relationships can cause us joy and such blessing, but can also be pain and difficult. Even Jesus in all his perfection was denied by Peter, betrayed by Judas. The reality is we're going to hurt one another and let each other down this side of eternity. And I want to suggest two realities to all of us this morning. The first is if you've been part of this church for any length of time, you will have almost certainly been hurt and let down by others in this church. Almost certainly. It could be unknowingly, it could be unintentional, but almost certainly you will have been hurt and let down by someone. It could be an email that was misunderstood, it could have been a bad day for that individual, but almost certainly we've been let down and hurt by one another. But equally, I also want to suggest that the chances are you've also hurt and offended someone in this church. Not so easy, that one, is it? But the reality is that, again, it might have been unknowingly, it might have been unintentional, but the chances are we've hurt one another. It could even be, as I've experienced on a handful of occasions, where a compliment goes wrong. Have you ever had that? We intend to compliment someone and encourage someone, but somehow it's got misinterpreted and misunderstood and they've been hurt and it's been taken the wrong way. But we've been hurt by one another if we've been around this church any length of time, and equally, we hurt each other. But we long as a church to be a welcoming and loving family. As a church, we talk about the fact we want to be family in our communities and also gathered in the wider body. Adele, Jensen and I, Jensen 7 and Tobin and 3, have just been in the borders for a few days and stayed at house in the borders. And just as we are about to leave on Saturday morning, Jensen was being a bit of a pickle, should we say, and decided to hide under the bed because he wanted to escape being told off and we were rushing to get in the car. And Tobin said, but Dad, what are we going to do because Jensen's not with us? And I said, Tobin, we're going to go without him. Now, before you ring Childline and before you accuse me of being the awful parent, we weren't actually going to go without him. But Tobin then responded by saying, but Dad, we're family, we stick together. 
And that really struck me because ultimately that's what this passage is about. That we let each other down, we hurt each other, we get it wrong, we frustrate each other, we irritate each other. But then we forgive and reconcile. I've been really struck by Paul's letters in the last couple of years. But in every one of his letters, I looked at it over the last two years, and every one of his letters, after the teaching towards the end, he says, but do what you can to live in unity, live in harmony, do what you can to love one another and pursue unity. And that says to me a couple of things. It says that it's hard, and it says that when he's speaking to all these churches, it's going to be a battle with something they need to hear. But it also says it's vitally important. And actually, it's a prophetic statement to the world around us. When we live in a different way, the world sees, the world looks on and sees us live in a different way, a different loving relationship with one another. And the passage we've read is from the Sermon on the Mount, and this is a huge teaching block from Jesus where he's trying to be provocative, he's trying to challenge, he's trying to turn some of the Old, teaching, Old Testament teaching on its head and reframe it. And it's meant to shock, it's meant to be profoundly different to the world around us, but it's meant to show us the best life. And Jesus here is saying, of course, don't murder. And as a tangent, it's worth saying that you have murdered. God's grace is no less sufficient for you than it is for anyone else here this morning. And you might be sitting here or you might be watching online thinking, what I've done is so unforgivable. But no, nobody is beyond God's grace and love. But he's saying, of course, don't get angry. But he's saying, don't remain angry and carry the burden. Do what you can to reconcile. Do what you can to forgive. Do what you can to restore that relationship. What do we do if we get angry or let someone down or if we get hurt by someone? What do I do? Do I tell others how annoying that person is? Do I tell others about the fact that I'm going to have to put up with them? I'm going to tell others about all the things that they deserve to come towards them? Do I choose offence? Do I choose to be offended by what they've done? Do I choose to look for further offence and think, oh, hang on a sec, six months ago when they said that, that's actually what they meant? And looking for further offence. Do we carry it for years? Do we carry it for a long time? Even now, I'm sure some of us can think of situations or individuals that still cause pain and unease for us as we think about them. Do we project it? Do we put it onto someone else? I remember when I was at school that I gave one of my teachers a real hard time. You probably can't believe that because I'm so angelic. But I gave one of my teachers a really hard time in sixth form. And looking back as I was reflecting on this passage... I realized that so much of it was because I was having some tricky times with my classmates and I wanted to put some, that anger and frustration onto something so that teacher got a hard time. Do we project it? And we also have to recognize that the culture around us isn't the best example of reconciliation at times. We've got a culture that can be so heavy on cancel culture and virtue signaling, so quick to publicly shame anyone with a different opinion to us. The blame culture, we always have to have someone to blame. And if we're honest, at times we can have a culture that says we're easily to be offended, and we want to make it known that we're offended. And I also wonder if there's a danger at times when we get hurt or damaged or let down, that to be offended is almost saying that our job is done because we are taking the offence and putting it out there and blaming them. And it's taking off, I've done my bit because I've blamed them, I've held them to account our first reaction when our delivery from Amazon is an hour late can be to put on social media saying, how on earth can this be? Now, of course, there's a place to hold people to account. Of course, there's a place to fight injustice. Of course, there's a place to challenge. But I do worry about these examples creeping into our church and into our culture. 
In this passage, we are encouraged not to project, not to tell others, not to put on social media, but to go to them, to make the first move, to be proactive in making amends. We're asked to aim for reconciliation. In Romans 12, 18, it says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. You can only be responsible for your part, but the question is, have you done as much as you're able to reconcile? This might be a conversation with the individual, it might be freedom in your heart, but have you done what you can to make amends? Or like me, can you be so stubborn at times that you don't want to make amends? You want to do anything you can but take the first step towards reconciliation? Or rather than going, rather than stepping forward, do we retreat? And this can increase tension, it can exacerbate frustration, and we have more time for it to stew over and to reflect upon it. And resentment grows and increases. And this is particularly true of a pandemic, isn't it? We might not have seen each other for a few months or even a year and a half. And an email that was sent six, nine months ago has caused frustration and wound us up and stirred up. And we've allowed bitterness and division to grow because we're not seeing each other face to face. But this passage encourages us to go towards them, to take the first step. As we do that, we begin to empathize. We begin to see their perspective. We embrace them. We humanize them. It's not just someone on the end of an email chain. It's actually someone who we can love, who's also a child of God. We have to make the step towards and do all we can in our power to reconcile, to restore that relationship. At the heart of this is forgiveness. Because the gospel is about forgiveness. We go to them to reconcile, knowing that there has to be forgiveness and restoration of relationship. Jesus even says in this passage that don't come to me with your offerings if you haven't reconciled with one another. Jesus is effectively saying, I've wiped your slate clean. I've forgiven you for everything. So please extend that grace and forgiveness to one another's. We go, we take the steps towards reconciliation. We do all we can in our strength to reconcile. And alongside that comes forgiveness. Years ago, I was really struck by the book, There's No Future Without Forgiveness. It was written by Desmond Tutu. And this was during the apartheid in South Africa, and there was huge racial tension and a civil war all down to one skin color. There was deep corruption in the political system, the police. There was a cycle of war and retribution and corruption. And Desmond Tutu, to try and sort this huge problem out, this huge painful situation out, he spent years in the law courts listening to stories, listening to horrendous counts of pain. And he was desperate for the cycle to stop and things to be laid inside for once and for all. So he got people to share their deeply painful stories, but he also encouraged as much as possible to forgive one another. It was hugely emotional, but it was incredibly healing. For this reconciliation to happen, there had to be forgiveness. Forgiveness has to be at the heart of reconciliation. You see, if we don't allow ourselves to forgive, we can allow the anger to fester in one or two ways. Some of you will have done marriage prep, and you know often in marriage prep we talk about we respond as a rhino or respond as a hedgehog. And the hedgehog retreats and it stirs it up and it kind of gets in a ball and the anger and resentment grows as it internalizes and bottles it up. And it can actually damage us. It can actually damage us inside. Or we can be like the rhino. And the word racket in this passage was a real word of anger and contempt. And we show aggression and take it out on others. We've been hurt, so we'll take it out on others. We can either retract like a hedgehog and 
bottle it up or we can go and take it out on someone else like a rhino. But neither is okay. We need to be people of forgiveness. Psychologists will tell you the more forgiving people have more social networks. Less anxiety, better emotional and physical health, greater spiritual well-being. We are called to be a people of restoration, of reconciliation, and at the heart of that is forgiveness. So I just want to end by just saying some very practical things about how do we forgive when someone's hurt us? How do we step into forgiveness? How do we take a step towards forgiveness when people let us down, when people betray us, when people hurt us? We go to God in the first instance. We do what we can to be right before God. To come to him in prayer, to look at ourselves first. We might even need to forgive ourselves. Dare I say we might, not, we might even realize when we talk to God that we're not as perfect or as innocent as we'd like to think we are. But we come to God and then we trust God with the situation. We remember that he is the infallible judge, not me. He's the one that is in charge of justice, not me. Because the reality is, if we're honest, at times we can want grace for ourselves, that incredible grace of Jesus for ourselves, but judgment for others. But we come to him and trust him with the situation. We don't always, and actually rarely, know all the details, but we trust that he can handle the situation as we bring it before him. And then I think there's value in pausing. There's value in waiting. It says in Scripture, be slow to anger, and sometimes just spending time in God's presence, spending time knowing healing and restoration before God helps us get perspective. It helps us not rush and cause further pain. I often try and have 12, 24 hours before I respond to difficult situations just to assure that my heart's in check and I don't say anything I later regret. Often in those times I find out that there's stuff that I didn't know that actually completely changes my perspective and I'm so glad that I didn't jump the gun and go and say something out of turn. But having value before God to wait on him and pause and then we pray for them. We pray for a situation, pray for a blessing. We're called in Scripture to pray for a blessing on those who persecute us, pray for a blessing on those who let us down. Is that your response when someone hurts you, when someone deeply wounds you, to pray for them, to pray a blessing on them? There's a leader in California, a guy called Bill Johnson, who heads up Bethel. And he's a remarkable guy, a godly guy, an incredible leader. I wouldn't agree with everything he says. I doubt he particularly cares, but I wouldn't agree with everything he says, but he's a remarkable, godly guy. I was chatting to someone recently who knows him really well, who actually spent a long while with him, and they said, what people don't see about Bill is the stuff that he does behind the scenes. They said that when he receives difficult emails and he gets a lot of abuse and a lot of just harsh correspondence because of his particular perspectives and because he's often out there and he's thinking... He says every night he spends time in communion before God, praying for a blessing on those individuals. I was like, wow, that's God's grace working right through that individual. Are we taking communion? Are we praying for a blessing on those who hurt us? And then once we've spent time with God, we take the necessary steps towards reconciliation. And this will look different in different situations. Often it will be a conversation with individuals. Sometimes it's just praying in our hearts. Sometimes it's just making sure we're clear and open before God. But we do what we can to reconcile. And we do all we can in our power to forgive. Some scholars have said that forgiveness is 70% an act of will. 30% is emotion and understanding. 
70% of it they're saying is an act of will. The emotion understanding is that, that what comes after so often is often what catches up. We have to do what we can to try and forgive them. And when we've been deeply hurt and deeply wounded, this might be a recurring challenge. It might be a gradual process. It might be if you imagine a scale from one to ten, but it goes from one to three and just a bit of healing and from three to five, it might be a gradual process, but we do what we can in our power to know forgiveness and reconciliation. We might have counselling alongside that, we might have support alongside that, but what we do know is that the desire has to be reconciliation, the desire has to be wholeness, the desire has to be forgiveness. My wife Adele has been brought up in a very abusive household and up until the age of eight she had a very difficult situation with her dad and for two years between the age of six and eight she actually moved around 30 different houses because they were trying to escape her dad and she would be picked up from school and just have this kind of plastic bag of all her belongings and they had to escape and move on and she's barely seen her dad for 30 years he was most He's alive now, but was not a good dad to her at all, really. But what always blows me away about Adele, and if you meet her, you'll know what I'm saying, is just the amount of forgiveness and healing that's been there. For someone who really has hurt her and really let her down on many levels, there is no bitterness or resentment or anger. And it says to me that there can be healing and restoration, even in the most dark situations. Yes, there's boundaries in place. Yes, there's boundaries in place for Adele to make sure that there's not further hurt or unnecessary pain. But she's forgiven him. Let me finish by saying, is forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration at the heart of our communities? Is it the heart of our church family? And I know for some of us that we've been through really deeply painful situations. And I don't want to just downplay that or pretend one's little prayer is going to sort it out. We believe that God can turn around the most dark and difficult situations, but we also know sometimes it's a process. But let's begin that journey. But equally, I also know that we can easily hold resentment or bitterness or frustration for something that was said five years ago. That person on the welcome team who didn't say hi to me ten years ago, I'm still holding it against them. We have to lay some of this stuff down. We have to choose forgiveness, choose reconciliation, not harbour resentment, not harbour things of the past taking us into the next phase. At the heart of the message of Jesus, at the heart of the message of the cross, is that Jesus has forgiven everything. He's wiped our slate clean of everything so we can also forgive one another. Let's live as people of grace. That's what distinguishes us from the world around us. When we take communion, we're not going to take communion today, but when we take communion, we do it as communion because we accept that Jesus has forgiven us. We accept that he's allowed us to be completely free and healed before. We do it in community because we also forgive one another. It's also an act of forgiveness being at the heart of our community. We need to come to the cross daily and forgiveness for us. But knowing that it allows forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration across our church community. What's so clear in the Old Testament and throughout Scripture is that when God's people repent, when God's people know his forgiveness and healing, new wine comes and new forgiveness and healing leads to restoration and leads to amended relationships, that leads to worship, that leads to God moving in miraculous ways. Zach's going to come and respond in worship, but I'm going to pray for us and 
In the next few moments, we're going to have just one or two or so there. If you want to come and pray this morning, and perhaps you're just harboring some resentment. And I know this could be a really emotive and difficult subject, but we do believe that Jesus can turn around the most crazy and difficult situations. And we'd love just to pray with you that you would know freedom, that you would know healing, and that you'd know forgiveness. So we're just going to be over there, and we'd love to pray for you. But why don't I pray for us now? Why don't we stand if we're able, and I'll pray. Holy Spirit, first and foremost, we want to thank you for the incredible gift of forgiveness and healing that you provide each and every one of us. We thank you for what took place on that cross. And Lord, we pray now that we would come to you in worship and know freedom as we lay everything before the throne of your grace. And where there's situations that feel so beyond repair, we pray that supernaturally, miraculously, you would intervene and just bring freedom, bring restoration, bring reconciliation. And as people now in their hearts and minds just mention situations, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would minister, that you would move amongst us, that you would move powerfully. Holy Spirit, have your way amongst us, we pray. Amen.